Hello and welcome back to the Total Football Analysis Podcast. I hope you're all having a lovely week so far, but now it's Friday. Exciting. Well, actually, it's Wednesday as of recording this, which sucks because nobody likes Wednesdays. But it'll be Friday when this is released. And what better way to start your weekend than with the TFA podcast? The last time we did a Tactical Theory Start episode was two weeks ago, I believe. And you all seemed to love it. And it was one of our most viewed podcasts of the year. And so we've decided to bring you another one. As an organisation that nerds and geeks over tactical analysis in football, sometimes we can get so caught up in systems and coach patterns that we often forget individualistic player movements within a set structure and a set guide of principles. It can be incredibly easy to misinterpret an action by a player as a tactical movement be set upon them by the coach, but quite often players are simply handed a certain freedom to do their own thing within the confines of the team's tactical system. In this podcast, we discuss these individual tactics, how to identify them, what role do they play when a manager or coach is designing their tactical system, how to balance different player profiles within a team, and so much more. So stick with us and hopefully you take some important lessons away from this episode. To help me dissect this topic, I'll be joined by a friend of the podcast and a fantastic TFA analyst, Kyle McGuill. I'm your host, Adam Scully, and I hope you all enjoy the following episode. Before we begin, though, please make sure to rate the podcast five stars, hopefully. It's genuinely so, so appreciated. If the podcast is to continuously grow and get better guests on, we'll need your help. So it really would mean a lot if you could give us a five-star rating. Thank you very much. And we'll do our very best to bring you the very best audio content that we can. Anyway, enough of me begging. Let's get into the episode by introducing Kyle. Kyle, welcome back to the TFA podcast. How have you been? Good. Very, very excited for Real Madrid City tonight, but doing good. How are you? I'm good. Well, I'm actually quite nervous for the game tonight. As many will know that follow the podcast, I'm, I am I tend to support a, a team from the the red side of Manchester, not the blue side. And currently my, my childhood is under massive threat. By Friday, when this podcast is released... The listeners will know whether I'm in agony or in or in heaven. To be honest, I haven't enjoyed a Champions League since I'd say I think the only Champions League I've enjoyed in a long time was Bayern PSG because I didn't really care who won, and it was a, a decent game. And I, 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 I just whoever won, I'd be happy. It was the last time I really thoroughly just could relax and enjoy. The Champions League. I've always had to root for for the up for one team or the other. It's always been it's always been a Liverpool or a Man City or someone in the final. And you know, I'm hoping Real Madrid and Inter will be the outcome. But as I said, by the time this podcast is released, the listeners will know whether it's Real Madrid and Inter or Man City and Inter. And in both cases, I think that we all know who will probably end up winning. But I'd love to see Inter Milan come away with the, the glory for the first time in 13 years. Anyway. That's just what the podcast today isn't about. The the Champions League. The podcast is on something you actually came to me, Kyle. Wait, I'll credit you with the idea, and I really liked it. It's about individual tactics because we, as a tactical analysis company and and a website a podcast as well, we love talking about team tactics and 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 looking at how different systems pan out and how matches City play and and deserves Brighton etc. Sometimes we often neglect the individual tactics side. Could you explain to the listeners what individual tactics are? Yeah, I think when the word tactics come to mind, I think we just automatically 
um, will think of the the collective and and the structures and whatnot, mm-hmm. the team patterns. And but I think there's there's a lot of value um, in looking at the individual tactical side of the player. Obviously, we have the the four sides of a player. You have the tactical, the technical, the physical, and the mental. I think the tactical is the one that we tend to, especially in our analysis, we tend to just kind of like leave it out and either link it to the, the team tactics or whatever. But I think there's there's a lot of benefit that we could start exploring that. Um, yeah, and then I think to the best way to define it is to split it in. So there's perception, uh, the player perception of time and, and the context and, and, and space around them uh, and to evaluate the best decision and then execute that. And this isn't necessarily a passion or uh, an action, sorry. It's not necessarily a pass or, or uh, a run, or it could be a run, it could be a movement, um, a rotation, and then it could be just simply a change in speed or a direction. Um, so yeah, it's not necessarily an action with the ball, but just a, a behavior um, on the pitch. Do you think that the reason people don't put the mental side of the... I suppose the, the the mental side of the game into their analysis when they're writing pieces or when they're doing Twitter threads, etc., is because it's not wholly available. I, not available. It's yeah. a poor choice of words, but it's not as apparent to the to public eye as as seeing yeah. a, a wide rotation or a, a, a number six dropping in between the central defenders, for instance. Yeah, I think what we tend to think of um, when we think mental is we link it with emotional, which is very accurate. It's mm-hmm. not that's that's a part of it, definitely. Um, which is like you said, unavailable, I guess, for us to, for anyone to relate to, to, to analyze it. Um, but I think it's important to to distinct or to to understand that tactical side of a player isn't exclusive and isn't it totally exclusive from the other sides of the player. So a mental is interlinked as is with the technical, as is with the physical side of the player. So it's just kind of working holistically um, on the match. With the mental, I believe, yes, the emotional, it's, it's very difficult to analyze. Obviously, you can take game situations and, and all of the, all that stuff um, to make an assumption. But leaving emotion aside and looking at the mental, you can kind of um, analyze the player's decision-making, the time, um, the scanning, their understanding of space and surrounding and awareness. Um, all of that goes into the mental. So I think uh, when we look at an individual and the tactical side, all of that goes into it as well. It's not necessarily just that movement, but all of the perceiving the context around them, um, where the players are, where space and time, how much time he has. So all of those kind of things, I think, and looking at individual basis, not assuming it as a part of a structure, but just looking at an individual basis because each moment of the game is a moment unique in itself. It's a process of like that immediate context. While there is a structure, there is stuff that is always there. Mm-hmm. Um, each moment of the game is very unique. So just kind of understanding that and then taking each, taking it case by case, essentially. Yeah, and we we seem to, it's a great answer, by the way, we seem to forget almost about that side of the game when we do write our analysis pieces because, you know, like you, you can analyse a team that are way down the bottom of the table. I can look at Southampton in, in the Premier League and say, what's gone wrong tactically for Southampton? And I can say, okay, well, they didn't do this when they defend in a low block. He doesn't step out in time. They don't stop the crosses, et cetera, whatever reason it may be. But a massive part of it is the is the mental state of the squad. Like, okay, if you're if you're in a bad mental state, your confidence is on the floor. You're not gonna you're not gonna. I mean, chances are you won't win your one v one battles against a winger. I'm just you. I'm, I'm just using poor examples. I don't know what what's gone wrong with Southampton. I'm just using an example of a team who are who have struggled. 
uh, and are rele- yeah, relegated. You can look, them, at, you can look at Arsenal really, like the whole the whole yeah. title, and that when everything started to crumble, maybe obviously there were structural problems and mm-hmm. tactical problems that led to this those draws and those dropping points. But there was also the players' emotional and mental state where like maybe the run that this player makes or this movement that he executes wasn't as confident, wasn't as just there was something missing about it. And that's mm-hmm. not something we can it's it's a mental thing. It's 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 much more than what you can see on the pitch, I think. And I just think that's a great point. Like if yeah. Arsenal played Southampton at home in November, chances are they yeah. They'd have picked up three points there. It's crazy. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. And it was, it's almost like the pressure was was on you. And people can call them bottlers, whatever they want. To the lucky Twitter analysis is, is our, you know, what do you call a football Twitter will will say what they want. And a lot of them are young people. So you have to take that into account. I get it. Fine. You want to call them bottlers. That's okay. But we have no idea the pressure. Oh yeah, of being up there in the when you're several points clear at the, in the Premier League, and you know that a money or the or sorry, not money, a, a, a success hungry lion is chasing you. Yeah, can you imagine the pressure that puts on you when Haaland is is yeah eating goals for breakfast? Yeah, yeah. you know, I think like to leave that behind, and and it's, yeah. it's you you can't like really the 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 player like that. That tactical segment that you want to analyze, there's so much more than where just the players are and how much there's just so much um into it, yeah. And especially the you have to take the, the cultural um kind of age we live in. I think the whole social media that just adds another yeah. dimension to it and, and the pressure and, and all of that. And yeah, I think there's there's a lot more result. This I think just where the players are, the the, the kind of like what you can see. Mm-hmm. It's more of the tip of the iceberg, and there's so much. Um, obviously, we're not, we can't, we don't all have access to it, but we can kind of take that into account and 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 look at it in a case by case kind of thing. Not assume a four three three because a player's there. He can that pass that angle is there. There's just so much more the opposition, the, the context, what that game is, and all of that. Um, yeah. yeah, it's an interesting one, and it's it's. I mean, there's a, there's other examples, not just Arsenal. I mean, you can look at Liverpool in 2013-14 under Brendan Rodgers. They were several points clear. And then there was that famous game at Selhurst Park where Pete, I think Pete was, was it labelled Chris Stamble? I think people, it, you know, tongue-in-cheek labelled it because they, they let a 3-0 lead go against Crystal Palace of all teams and then ended up losing the league. There's a million examples. There was a couple of examples with Arsenal and true history too, but... Yeah, I, th- I think that side is something I'm becoming more aware of, especially with my writing, my analysis. I need to understand better the mental state of the game to understand the context. And, you know, it's not always tactical. And sometimes we think everything's within the confines of team tactics. And sometimes, as we said, and as the point of this podcast is, it's about individual tactics. And can can, can you offer some brief examples, Kyle, please, of... Yeah, when we say individual tactics, what we mean, so that people, the listeners at home can get a good yeah. idea of what of kind of what we're talking about. Yeah, um, we just spoke about the more the emotional and the mental side of it, but there's a really technical approach to it, and then and that's again going back to what you can see and everything. I think the first one I want to use is Kyle Walker um, and City. There was a lot of debate a couple of weeks ago about Pep not wanting to play him, and well, Pe- well, Pep actually fueled himself, didn't he? Because yeah. he said. What he said, Carl Walker can play that way. Yeah, and then you look at and you put them side by side 
with John Stones and Rico mm. Lewis, and then you kind of do an individual analysis, and that's the tactical analysis of the individual, and you break it down, and it's maybe to body orientation, to awareness, um, all of that tactical um, area to explore, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's that's one very clear example of just a player that to to in a certain area of the pitch he doesn't have maybe the tactical attributes. Not it's not about technique or physical. Maybe technical, yes, but ta- it's not about that. It's about the tactical, his awareness, his perception, his movement, his ability to execute, to know what angle to support, all of that mm-hmm. stuff. And then we can maybe go into the the second example, which is like Busquets or any really like high level six. It's the ability to to perceive the context um, at a very very high because the stakes are very high when you're in that position. So to mm-hmm. perceive the context, the time and space he has on the ball, um, where his teammates are, or the opposition, the holes. Uh, to exploit and and under a very short amount of time, um, so Busquets and 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 his ability in that six is a very tactical one, and that's a very clear example of how you can look at um, individual through the tactical lens. Um, yeah, well, that, those are two clear examples. There's that quote, isn't there? I think is it from Finch? Yeah, it's the when you watch when you yeah, watch the game, you don't see Busquets, but when you watch. Yeah. Because you see the game. The game. I, mean, I love that yeah. quote. It's genuinely one of my favorite football yeah. quotes. And, 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 and yeah. you know, as as you said there, it's like you can see the individual tactics through yeah. his through his style, and it's it's that quote kind of is yeah. is and, and the thing is, it's looking at it's looking at you just yeah that quote is perfect because you just watch him and then you look at what he's doing in the seconds mm-hmm. and th- thankfully we can do that through the video the video at our yeah, accident yeah. today but you're looking at him through the or in those seconds before he gets the ball and everything, and you can see the scanning, you can see that he's aware that there's a player coming at this angle, so he's maybe going to make the support a little bit at another angle to free up a space for when he lays it off, or so he can do the body feint, he can drag the space or drag the player here so he can do the body feint to the other mm-hmm. side, and then all of those, the, yeah, it's just a very nice, it's a very, for me at least, it's a very interesting thing, and it's so complicated yeah. because it's just one player in such a <laughs> moment, there's so much you can break down about it. Someone I'd put in that category as well, while they're not a six, I think they offer some of the very same trades as Tony Cruz at Real Madrid. And I think that he is a an incredibly press resistant player in that sense. And yes, okay, he's not a six. Usually he, he plays more as an eight, but he drops quite deep as well. But I think sometimes his ability to take in the game around him is second to none. He's it's like he has eyes in the back of his head, as 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 some people say. It's you know, and Busquets yeah, and, as well. I'd put them both in that category. Just just building on Cruz, I think last week in the Champions League, there was I'm certain it was him when he just Kamavinga. There was a quote about Kamavinga where he just said that he saw Cruz playing the left back. He was like, "Well, I guess I'm just going to go back to center mid." And it's that kind of like the player's instant perception of of the yeah. concepts around them, and maybe Cruz decided that was the best. Um, and I'm pretty sure that led to a shot of Benzema where he nearly scored. So mm-hmm. it's just that player's perception of, of what's most appropriate. And then, again, that was a simple rotation, whether you want to put the functional or positional, whatever you want, they switch yeah. positions. And then it's just that that tactical, individual tactical side of mm-hmm. it. It's, yeah. But all our kind of individual tactics we see, and I said this to you before the podcast starts, for any for anyone that's watched Manchester United, of course, you'd see Bruno Fernandes is very adept at making runs in behind the back line. And he does this quite a lot. And it becomes, I mean, there's always there's always been a lot of chat about how sometimes he can kind of take yeah. take up roles 
yeah. of, of different players. So if you play, say, Marcus Rashford down the middle, and you would ask Marcus Rashford to make the runs in behind the stretch to play, to stretch the back line and the midfield to kind of open up that space between the lines. Bruno does that as well. So they're kind of doing the same role. But Bruno, yeah. it, it, you can see it's not something that's that he's told to do. He's done it under every manager. He did it at Sporting. He did it at, he's done it under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Ralph Rangnick during that. It's one, very similar to Dele Alli as yeah. well. Yeah. striker, I guess. Yeah. But... Yeah, kind of, yeah, it is exactly the same. Those runs are behind. So it's, and that's more of an individual tactic if you want to call it because it's an individual movement within the structure but he's I suppose he's given the freedom but what I want to ask you is can we you mentioned there about kind of Cruz and Camavinga the way they kind of rotated that that partnership I want to say if, if it's a partnership hasn't really played together for a long long time I think we're just over which is just, just about two seasons now I believe yeah yeah but with teams where they have played together for a long, long time, like I know back in my heyday, I'll call it, you had Gary Neville overlap David Beckham when he kind of comes inside a little bit and you know he's going to cross. That was always kind of a thing. They they played together for a long, long time. But the one we spoke about before the podcast started was Lionel Messi and Jordi Alba yeah. became synonymous with each other. And you know, when I say those two players, you know the exact movement I'm talking about. Yeah. Messi will just switch it out to the left. Alba's already made the run. Messi doesn't even need to look because he knows Alba's there. He doesn't even need a scan. He knows Alba's making that run. Yeah. Is, is you know, is it easy to identify when those kind of individual tactics, I want to call it, come together to create a pattern? Because it, it, it's a pattern now. Yeah. Or it, yeah. Sorry, it became a pattern for Barcelona when Messi was there and Alba. Like it wasn't, maybe it didn't start out as something they would do in, in as a, as a yeah. team that the manager would tell them to do. It just became a pattern because... Messi would always kind of yeah. orient his body in that way, and then Alba would make the run on the left, and it just became. Yeah, I think that's the best example of like really bringing it all together the four dimensions of the player. Um, with Alba, and then I also said Danny Alves is just players who their tactical characteristic, which mm-hmm. is a which is a result, I guess, of their technical, technical, physical, all of those areas as well. But their ability to make those runs, to execute them well, but also time them really well, all of those things. Um, that's really a result of the individual characteristics for the fullback. And then obviously Messi, we don't have to speak about his technical quality. Mm. So that movement, that 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 emerged really as a result of the technical or as of the tactical, like really going together, I guess. And then you develop the patterns where it happens continuously and over time. And it just becomes like Messi doesn't have to look. He knows it's going to be there. He knows he's going to be the right time. And then another example is like the Brun with Haaland just finding yeah. him in the box and the, and the cross and the, the runs in the box, the spaces where he is, it's always so perfectly executed. And it's like, yes, it becomes a pattern where the, maybe the opposition can spot it, but the execution of it, the timing, it's so appropriate to each scenario. Whereas mm-hmm. you know it's going to come, they're going to find a way, they're, they're going to know when to do it. And like this, it's like Aaron Robin, you know, he was going to cut inside, but it was yeah. just always like perfect timing to her. So yeah, I think those develop as well. It's it's the individual tactics come together to develop patterns and everything. Where it's maybe not a result of the system, mm-hmm. like it's not a result of the. Well, I'm pretty sure the coach doesn't go. Yeah, I want the ten to make or the false nine or whoever it is to make that and like that. You can't ask that of every player. It's not yeah. a structural. Um, it's really that the players, the correct of the players, because then you have 
let's say you had Cancelo at the left back, you weren't going to ask him to make those runs. It's just it's completely different. Well, this is what I was going to say to you. So when Messi leaves, say Rafinha comes in, he got him from yeah. Leeds United, and they kind of they do this. If 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 Chavi had said, I know it was Ronald Koeman at the time. I can't yeah. really remember when Rafinha came to the club, but it was somewhere in, yeah. in that kind of time period. But anyway, Rafinha takes a right wing spot. He cuts inside, and Chavi tells him hit those switches out to Alba. Yeah. It's 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 again. It's not a, a team. It's not a structural thing. It's not a pattern that's developed by the manager of the team. This is a pattern that's been developed by two players because yeah. of their qualities, not because it's something you can... And the same with De Bruyne and Haaland. Like, you could put Jack Reed, or say, in De Bruyne's position again, a poor example, yeah. or Cole Palmer, and tell him to hit those balls into Haaland. Yeah. Chances are they're not going to... Yeah. They're not going to be right. Yeah. And those patterns, it's just very natural in the sense that each player has their own unique set of technical abilities, physical abilities, and mental. Like the Bruins' ability to perceive those runs and execute in such a small amount of time is so unique to him. So it's just those arise out of the player's natural characteristics and those developments. And I think when you give the a little bit of the room for the players to do them themselves, there's a lot of benefit that can come to it because those are – like I said, the timing and the execution and the per, like perception of those things are very um, natural. So it's not as if like you're learning and becoming becomes repetitive and you cannot mm-hmm. rely on it. It's not it's not exactly like that. I do think it's interesting that you can see these patterns become, you know, more present within more like relationist or or, or functional teams, but they are also still present in teams that are quite strict on positional play. Yeah. Look, as we said, the Bruyne and Haaland at Manchester City, of course, you would yeah. label City as one of the most strict positional play sides in the world, if not the yeah. most strict. But yet, they yeah. still have those little... Uh, yeah, at the end of the day, that. it's not it's not chess, is it? The ball is going to yeah. gonna develop the games, whether the player has the framework of their positional um, behaviour is more rigid or not. The, the play is still going to develop and they're going to be able to, to make those decisions mm. themselves pep pep isn't playing it like the like playstation I, I actually have a little uh, this is a gripe of mine that i must discuss in the podcast i'm going to try to say it as quickly as possible so i don't waste too much time it really bothers me when people call football they they stay compare with the chess i know sometimes yeah. we all use the phrase like a chess match but what we mean by that is that it's quite uh locked in terms of yeah. quality and things yeah. like that and it's a bit it's close uh, close yeah. call but when people actually compare the sport to chess yeah. It bothers me because in it because if you're comparing the sport to chess, what you're saying is that the players and the, the players are exactly of the same quality and what matters most is the manager. And it's not true. <laughs> it's you know, in chess you have the same amount of uh pieces. So you yeah. have two knights and two rooks and everything, let's say one queen. You both have that but it comes down to the skill of the actual player in moving them, the strategies and football is not the case. As Rafa Benitez always famously says, every I've won every game on a tactics board. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he had like, you you can go and you can have a perfect plan to stop a team and you go, this is how we'll stop them. But then De Bruyne whips in a 50 yard ball onto the foot of Haaland and he forced time boots a pass your keeper. (laughs) Like there's only so many football. There's there's so many variables in football. There's not in chess. There's a, there's a finite, number of moves you can make in chess football is infinite well that's why you pay the wall i mean if if i saw this quote and it was just like fans don't pay season tickets to go and watch a football manager 
or like a like a chess match or a, a spreadsheets on the pitch. Like those are all things that go into it. Yeah, obviously yeah. there's some benefit in linking chess, um, especially when you put on tax sport and you see where the players are going to be and where you can maybe create superiorities or anything like mm-hmm. that. It, there's benefit, like just like statistics have a lot of benefit, but it's not the end product and it's not. Um, and yeah, so that's, I think that's really where the benefit of looking at the individual tactical side of it, it yeah. comes in play. I agree. And and this is why it ties into the podcast. As you said, it's, it's, we can talk about, we can go onto a tactics board and, and you can show, you can look at areas where you'll have superiorities depending on structures to structure, but it's the individual tactics that they have in football. They don't have in chess. You can have you can have team tactics in chess, for instance. Like you can have a strategy of what you're going to do, and he's going to move here and he'll move here. In football, you have that as well, but we don't have the individual tactics. You don't have the quality. You don't have a one v one. If you have a pawn versus a pawn, it's a level playing field. If you have Vinicius Junior versus me, it's not a level playing field. Yeah, yeah. you know that's the difference with chess, and, and that's and- the, that's the difference between um, getting the player to know about football. And yeah. all football because when he knows all football, he knows he's able to, to read the context, the immediate context around them and make the decisions, the most appropriate decisions. And that includes the timing of it, mm-hmm. um, the angle of it, all of those things. That That's the player's knowledge of football right there. And then whether he knows he must create an overload on the right side or he has to make this run to, yes, that helps. But it's not, he needs to know football in that immediate sense it, not in abstract it's a 4-3-3 against a 4-3-3 you need to do this and that so it's just yeah yeah and I think actually this is something we'll discuss a bit later on that I'm, I'm, I'm excited to talk about but football has become way more it, I suppose intellectual if you want to say players especially have become more intellectual yeah, when the, when on the this, pitch because yeah, there's more the spaces are reduced yeah and, and all of that because that, that, the physical has been enhanced tremendously from 40 mm-hmm. years ago. The spaces are much more smaller than they used mm-hmm. to be. All of that old conversation. So that it requires a lot more intelligence and cognitive yeah. like uh, abilities rather than just purely physical or, or technical. Or, um, yeah, yeah so- um, like a winger would need to, uh, quite often back in the day, it'd be 442 versus 442, and a winger would be tasked with beating his man, beating the fullback on the dribble and getting the ball into yeah. the box. And okay, it's... It's still difficult. I mean, you still got to have the quality to do it, but there's way more to consider now. You need to understand that, okay, if my fullback's overlapping, I need to go inside here, or if he makes this run, I need to do this. And it's, it's yeah, again, like you need to be more cognitive to be a, a, a player at the elite level. And there was always a, a cliche that footballers were stupid back in the day, back when yeah. I was a kid as well. That was always a cliche. And I think that's just not, it's just not even the case anymore. I think footballers have to be incredibly intelligent now. And there are some incredibly intelligent footballers. You can see oh. it. Sergio Busquets, who's literally just left Barcelona, or well, he's leaving at the end of the season, which was announced a couple of days before this podcast was released. One of the most intelligent players I've ever seen in my, in my lifetime. A genius in, in my eyes. And people can talk about his play acting, whatever. Okay. It's an ugly side of his game, but I still think he was one of the most incredible footballers I've ever seen. But before we get into kind of that, the more cognitive side of the game again, in terms of intelligence in the field, I want to ask you about negatives. Can individual tactics be a negative in some instances? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think this is where the coach comes in because you have to find, you have to be able to assess each player's individual um, tendencies and tactics. Mm-hmm. Because, and I, I love talking about the midfield because it's 
if you have two two sixes, if you play a four, two, three, one, and you have two sixes or eights, who are very similar in quality, meaning they're gonna make the they'll make the support runs. Um, they like to hold their positions. They're more combative. They're more like a defense, like a defensive profile. Mm-hmm. You don't have a six who maybe makes those most four. He knows when to make those four runs and all of that. And I think it can be a negative when you don't you don't really assess them correctly, and then you put profiles on the pitch that don't work well together. And I think that's the main role of the coaches knowing how players work together because it can lead if you. And, and then obviously you have the structure as well. But if you solely rely on individual individual like individual developments and individual tendencies and tactics, mm-hmm. you can without even assessing how they go well together, you have some some deficiencies and some maybe spots that you have to fix and you're vulnerable to this and or you're not efficient enough going forward. And so I think that's the role of the coach really is to make sure those individuals don't turn into negatives. And then also there's the, the whole discussion of how much you want to go into it. If you want to build a a, a three five three two five where it's very structured to minimize those things, and then maybe that comes at the cost of some players. Um, or if you want to have a a more relational side. It's interesting because it's where player profiles clash with the ideas of the manager and the system they want to create. I suppose a good example at the minute and while it's topical is David De Gea and Ten Hag. He wants to play off from the back. You have a goalkeeper who really can't, let's be real. He's he's okay when there's no pressure. Um, yeah. I think it's fair to say. But you And even with that, you have like Aaron Wan-Bissaka, who's, who's poor at receiving in the in the first third of the pitch. And he, he struggles and he, he's a bit clumsy. And, and like when you put all those together with the manager's idea he wants to play up in the back but then like I mean where do you draw the line between yeah and I think that's what like, Ten Hag's done beautifully by the way mm-hmm. I think his ability to adapt to the squad at hand and still be well you can or like maybe it's not successful so they, they were it's, it was a great season compared mm-hmm. to all the, the 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 turbulence that it's been and you can have a framework to build on so I think Ten Hag's ability perfectly bangs on what we talked about where the, the the coach adapts to the players and he realizes what he has at hand and he maybe let go of some some principles such as build out from the back at all costs. But he can let go of some, regardless structure, maybe he wanted to play this way, but he can't really play this way because if he plays this way, he's not going to have enough players in this department. To, mm-hmm. this and this. So he has to adapt to the players at hand. Do you think there's a part that to, to, to say that the players need to adapt to the manager too? Or do you think it's it's, solely on the manager to get the best out of players he has and like some managers have certain ideas of how they want to play but it's up to them to to use the transfer window to bring those types of players in like Pep the best example is Pep 2017 they had a pretty okay first season but he won nothing for the first time in his career in the first season they won absolutely nothing and they finished third I think and then in 2017 he brought in Ederson he brought in all the I think he brought in Kyle Walker and he brought in every the right player profiles and bang they win the league 100 points yeah, I think, well, obviously, not everybody has the, the, the money. That yeah, Pep, financial resource of Pep. Yeah, yeah um, I think it's a dance where the, the I think it's absolutely wrong for the coach to come in. And I think a good example is Victor Pereira at Corinthians when he wanted, he wanted, I, again, I don't believe his implementation of positional play was very good, but he. I remember he, you being very angry at Vita Pereira. <laughs> no, so Fagner, he's a very overlapping and very attacking fullback who is brilliant going forward. And Vitor, for, for, to, to 
whether it was a structure he wanted to keep, whatever, he just held him back. And he was basically played as a third center half at times, or he just, he never went up. And I think that cost him a year of his career because he was absolutely terrible, not terrible, but he just wasn't living up to his potential. So I think it has to be, um, the coach, no doubt, has to get the best out of his players. Um, but obviously the coach comes up with an idea of how he wants the team to play. And it's up to the players also to adapt to that and uh, to some extent because it's not just free for all. Um, so yeah, I think it's a dance. It goes both ways, but obviously I think it's my personal view. I think it's completely wrong for a coach to completely neglect, uh, a player, uh, a player's individual, um, profile. And then obviously with time, if he wants to change that and transfer with he can, I think Van Gaal, like to me, to, for a coach to have like Raquel May or like Rivaldo and say, I don't want them because he doesn't fit my system is ridiculous because mm-hmm. um like those are some of the best players of all time so it's just um i think there has to be it's kind of a dance i think there's no one way to go i think the only place where i think players need to be more willing to adapt to the manager is out of possession because quite often we're talking about in possession i think out of position especially in the modern game there has to be i mean the best example is psg yeah. they they play against yeah. Bayern Munich, one of the best teams in the world, yeah. or against anyone really, and they're defending with a back four and a midfield three yeah. because their front three are on the halfway line. And they're literally a block of seven versus Bayern Munich's nine or ten in their own half. You had that, you had that against Astros. Yeah, yeah. You had that with Menu, I think there was a screenshot of I forgot who was the coach, but there was a screenshot of I think it was like Rashford, Ronaldo, Fernandez, and they're all just sat at the halfway line. Mm-hmm. I think there is on like undeniably some some give and take in the posi- out of possession phase, um, especially in the age you live in. I do think, however, the World Cup provided a bit of a within its style was like a very short term, and the the fitness wasn't always going to be the highest. You had Argentina and even France at times where um, Mbappe and Benzema. Or maybe Messi, um, there were sacrifices made for them. But yeah. then again, we're talking about the best players in the world. So um, I think Real Madrid as well is a good example to look at because they're not a hype, like they're not going to impress like Man City do. Mm. But they're still, they they only conceded one goal and that was to De Bruyne with a magical. So I think um, there is like not loopholes, but there is ways to, to for the coach as well to, to give and take. Mm. But the players obviously have to do a lot of give and take as well. Yeah. I think the word I use the most when we, when, when I think of this 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 type of discussion, I think of individual tactics and how managers can put players in a team and suit the kind of kind of have the right player profiles is balance. Yeah, balance, balance in a team is so so important, and people yeah. there's almost this um, understanding or idea that that put your you know put your best eleven out and you'll win games and. All right, that's a bit of a black and white statement for me to make, yeah. but it's it's. I mean, it's never really yeah. true because your your best eleven, it might be your best eleven, but they might not have the right player profiles. And we and if we want to talk again about, as you said a second ago, last season's Man United, which was a disaster. They weren't bad players. Yeah, nobody was saying they were bad players. They were terrible profiles. When you have a goalkeeper who won't come off his line, partnered with a centre half who's slow, yeah, and you're playing him at the half. I mean, it's. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What a disaster of, of player profiles there. What a recipe for disaster. I think that's why Ten Hag is a central such a brilliant job because it's the same players, but he's yeah. adapted and he's been able to get results out of them. And and it's been a lot better this season. 
It has been, yeah. And of course, he's brought in, like we said a minute ago, like Pep did in 2017, he's brought in a couple of players of that, that are yeah. will sue his style. And yeah. it's managed to work and he's made it work. And yes, okay, it's not been wonderful. There's been some yeah. horrible oh, moments. But... Means, again, Pep's first season wasn't... Yeah. Season, was it? Well, so Pep, Pep lost four and the Everton in his fourth season, I remember. Yeah. So it's they... like... Yeah, I think given the circumstances, especially the turbulent times that um, men you have been in, yeah, it's no yeah. doubt a good, a, all right season. Yeah. Well, the there's two more things I want to discuss. One is right up your alley, of course. Well, both of them are, but one of your specialties, Kyo, is relationism. What I want to know is, and I'm going to ask you because you'd be way more clued up than I would be, how do we evaluate individual tactics within relationism or functional play? As I said to you before the podcast started, is it is it is it solely that individual tactics and player movements become the tactic? Like we said with with Messi and Alba, it's their own tendencies linked together and create this beautiful poetry almost. Or mm-hmm. is there intervention from the coach still? Yeah, um, I'm gonna use a I'm gonna use an example of Malmo to to really break this down. Mm-hmm. Um. Whether I, I had a look at them recently, and it's it's definitely not a positional side. Let's say that. And then you have players who the the structural like like Nanasi. I think Sebastian Nanasi, the the right winger, he drops in like absolutely crazy. He roams mm-hmm. the entire pitch, and he has a lot of freedom. Um. So it, it that it has a lot more. The individual tactics have a lot more influence on the structure, obviously. Um, however, like Malmo have a tendency, there's a principle, there's a clear principle, principle to dominate possession, and that's who a lot of, and there's a clear principle to, to for support possession, have a little, a very short style of passing, um, more than like Napoli, for example. So that's, that's, and that's a, that's a specific example of the coach, um, putting his, his, his hand on the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just not, it's not free for all. There's principles that guide their behavior. And there's principles like the move to the pass and then pass after you move. Um, those kind of things are a, like a coaching thing. It's not necessarily the, the players just doing what, what they want. But yes, there is a lot more um, room for the players to, 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 to dictate the structure and their individual tendencies to show to, to come through more than um, they would in the more positional side. And then Asi, again, going back to him last season, I believe at Cup, I forgot where he played last season, but I think I was speaking to Mac about this, and he played on the side where it was a bit more positional, and he was stuck more on the wing. It was Kalmar, was it? Yeah, I think it was Kalmar. Yeah, Kalmar. And I think it was with Henrik as well, so that's... Yeah, I think quite... Mac worked with him, didn't he? Yeah, he yeah, did. yeah, yeah, I think it was, yeah. it was quite curious that it was with Henrik as well, but he, he had a more positional yeah. and then you can just kind of see at Malmo how his individual tactics are more... They influence the structure a lot more. But again, like with principles and even Fluminense, like there's very short style of passing. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of the, the coach's hand as well. He wants the players to do that. So it's it's both ways. But in the structural sense, yes, there's a lot more. The individual uh, movements tend to take the structure a lot more. And, um, and yeah. if a player... If a player is out through injury or suspension, and we had this discussion in the last podcast where it was just the two of us talking about kind of positional mm-hmm. play versus relationism, was that apparently that was two weeks ago? It, it feels like a lot longer than that. Maybe it was. Maybe, it's, it's totally was it? it? Seems like a lot longer. Really 
time is a weird. I believe it was two weeks ago. Yeah, and I, I was shocked when I saw that. But anyway, uh, we spoke about it in the podcast, and we said that if players injured or suspended and they're not in the team, you can kind of lose that chemistry a little bit with relationism, where you yeah. you 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 can be a bit more secured with positional play, and obviously that is one of the the downsides of relationism, of course, is that you have so much chemistry with your players, you lose one and maybe the chemistry won't be the same with the replacement you bring in. Yeah. That's natural. Every system has downfalls or, or downsides. It's not necessarily a major issue. But, yeah, but then again, it's it's adapting. The coach's yeah. role, it's adapting to the players that he has. If if he introduces, um, well, if, if he has to bring in one Bissaka, he's going to have to change it up a bit. And then and mm-hmm. the style that he wants to play is not going to, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The final thing I want to talk about on this podcast is something we alluded to earlier, Kyle. It's about the improving the player's tactical mind and how do you improve the knowledge of a player? Like we, we said about that the players, again, there's no real way of measuring this. <laughs> like this is just merely a, 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 a thought I've had and I could be wrong, but I would believe the players in-game anyway are a lot more in, I'm not saying overall, I'm, I'm, I I know I, I, people are going to say Frank Lampard has a PhD or whatever, I get it, like I understand, but mm. players are a lot more intelligent in game now because there's less time and yeah. space. There's way less time and space. As you said, teams are much more compact. The way they press high when you're building out from the back, you're like, can you imagine playing against the, you know, Liverpool's high press or something, for instance? Yeah. They're on you like a shot. You've got to be, got to be ready you've got to be thinking you have to scan and take the game in around you in the matter of a second or two but how can you improve the knowledge of a player like how does that come about how do you become as as intelligent as i I know it's a bad example but because you don't necessarily necessarily need to reach these heights but how do you become as intelligent as a Messi or a bus gets yeah i think um you look at Modric, for example, a lot of the passes he makes may seem impossible. Or like, how does he think of that? How does he? And it's not something you teach. It's you're not going to go to the training ground and you're going to have this exercise mm-hmm. where um, you can put the player there and the player there, and you make that, that, that pass at that angle. It's more of a like I said earlier. It's the player's knowledge about football and of football. What you want to improve is the knowledge of football, so the ability to to perceive and evaluate the immediate context around them, yes. which is ever-changing and dynamic. The spaces are dynamic. They're not going to – it's not chess. The, the spaces are going to move. The players are going to move. The time is going to change. It's always going to be different. So the player's ability to um, perceive and, and evaluate and then execute actions within a, the arising context is very key. And that's what you, essentially what you want to improve. And then – there's the actions where it's like really boss and I like the pass and stuff, but there's also the actions of more positional sense and more of a structural sense. Mm-hmm. If the player's is ability to perceive holes in the defense, or maybe he knows he has to hold this position a bit more or th- those sorts as well. Those are dynamic. Those may, that player may go in that specific instance because of a, the second ball kind of develops and keeps traveling. He goes a bit more. So that immediate perception says, Oh, I have to drop in there. I have to cover this space and this space in relation to the ball. So those things, obviously, you can coach them, and you can there's you can do a lot to to enhance the player's ability to to perceive this. But a lot of it comes through just the players getting familiar with with. Um, I really enjoy opposed um, uh, practices 
where mm-hmm. it's players are basically thrown in there and then with coaching and stuff and their ability to, to being scenarios like that, to make those decisions. Um, there's a video of, of players or of kids, I think they were like eight, playing outside uh, the Villa Belmiro in Santos. Um, and it was like a street game. And then somebody comments like, I don't see any coach. And it's like, yeah, you, they learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they learn by playing the game. You learn you learn off football by playing the game. You don't learn off the game by studying it. I think that's so that's a that's really key to to um for the players to develop that side of the players. It's, well, Marcelo like, Bielsa has his motorball, doesn't he? Which is which isn't yeah. the same, obviously, but in the idea is that the players can react quickly to changing circumstances and and okay, it's it's what you said about the kids in in Santos, you know. They learn by by doing that. Technically, it's the same, but just a lot more. It's a lot more intense with an Argentine man screaming at you. What I do want to say is, while you can probably practical is the best way to improve your knowledge of the game in terms of as a player, because mm-hmm. your vision when you're watching on a laptop or a TV won't be the same as when you're actually on the pitch and you're seeing things yeah. in front of you. It's of course it's completely it can different. Help. It can help, of course. But it is also a way you you can try and improve your knowledge of the game is by looking at things more analytically through video analysis, of course, on a laptop or a TV, etc. Or I think it's fair to say coaches are getting a lot. I don't want to say coaches are getting better, but their coaches are becoming less managers and more coaches. They're looking at details more. They're looking at these kind of uh, kind of things, you know, like you have your Nagelsmann, your Peps, etc. That look into these minute details. So I think. There's three main ways you can kind of learn there. Practical, through your coaches who are rapidly improving and improving in terms of that side and the actual coaching side. And then yourself, like video analysis. I know Casemiro apparently is a Scout fiend, which you wouldn't strike me as that type of player, but apparently he loves Scout and he's always looking at Scout. Not sure to do what, to see what leg he can break. I don't know that. Anyway, but apparently he's always on Scout and he's analysing the opposition before every game. And I love that. It yeah. shows you that he wants to keep improving, and he yeah. he feels and that video analysis is the best. It does way to do help. That. The analysis is vital to football because if he can watch three hours of the ten he's going to play against, he's going to know all of the little tendencies and tactics, yeah. uh, individual tactics of the player he's going to play against. So then um, he's able to, to prepare himself much more. He's going to be more aware of those when it mm-hmm. when it comes in and maybe it takes a few minutes into the game to, to really like f- get, get a feel for it but as the game goes on he's going to know like secondhand what the player is going to do yeah it's interesting though as well because so many times people think that it's the coach's job to kind of explain these details to the player and while it, maybe it is but there's also again a part to play where people forget that the player is still playing and he kind of has yeah. a responsibility as well to do a bit of research himself. And, you know, yeah. you, you've had histories of in the past where managers have said that players haven't opened emails or haven't looked at their messages. They've sent them of analysis. And I'm like, yeah. your jo- it's your job, man. Yeah. I think, you know what I mean? think clubs, as a, I, I think in the age we're going, they're getting better. Clubs are getting better as well at delivering that information and, and, Again, more detail in there and, and essential detail, not just noise. So, yeah, but there's some clubs that send their players stuff through TikTok because they they, they spend so much time on TikTok, so they send them. Yeah, yeah I, I'd imagine they have like private accounts, so they send them on TikTok, yeah. and it's a good idea because you yeah. they'll spend so much time on TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. There's it's there's adapting to the audience. It's it's knowing yeah. how your audience audience is gonna. It's when you're when you're giving an analysis to fourteen year olds, 
um, in an academy environment, you have to know their span of attention, the yeah. audience, how you're going to deliver that information. If you sit, if you sit, obviously, if you sit there with, if you send them a PDF on WhatsApp with like, like you, fa- you fact you fax them all the information. Yeah, yeah. they're not gonna. They're not gonna. If even if you just stand there on the PowerPoint and you need, like teach them the information, it's, yeah. it's really gonna work. They're, yeah. So it's not. You have to know your audience is on delivering it. So. Yeah, and you can you can be a coach or a manager who like old man yells at cloud because people don't do what they did thirty years ago. Yes, attention spans are probably smaller. Players learn differently now. It's not just the case if you standing at a bloody chalkboard with yeah. a with a piece of chalk writing little things on a board. Players take information in differently. Yeah. You know, you've got to just adapt to it or else, yeah. you know, you'll get left behind, you know. Yeah. Kyle, I really, really enjoyed this chat. I actually learned a lot. And, and I think, personally, this was probably my favourite uh, podcast we've done so far. I hope the views... I hope the listeners and the viewers share that same uh, uh, viewpoint that I do. Where can people find you, Kyle? Uh, just on Twitter, um, or Segundo Volante. Um, yeah, that's where I do all my work and also on LinkedIn as well. And don't forget, if he doesn't like you, he holds the right to block you. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Kyle, thank you so much for coming on. To all the listeners at home, I hope you enjoyed as well. Make sure to tune in on Tuesday for another episode of the TFA Scouted podcast for you all to enjoy with Brian and I. Also, make sure to rate the podcast too and share it with your followers, friends, and family as it really helps us to grow. Thank you all for listening, and goodbye for now.